Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're thankful for this opportunity to be together to sing songs of praise, to pray, and to study from God's Word. We're going to be looking at the passage that Tanner read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 10, a passage of scripture that was penned by the hand of the Apostle Paul. I want us to think for a minute or two tonight about the theme, God can use you. And really as his people, what we need to understand is God can use each and every one of us. And God will use us if we choose to allow him. As we think about God using us in his service, there's some things that we would do well to consider because sometimes we have excuses as to why the Lord can't use us or maybe why we have the perception that he is unable to use us in his service. But I really believe, first of all, that God can use you despite your past in life. One of the first things that people will say sometimes when we talk about service in the kingdom is you just don't understand my past. You don't understand where I've been or what I've done, how deep in sin I have been. What we need to understand is that Christianity is not about what we were in the past, but rather what we are in the present. The past is old news if we're in Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I might point out that the people to whom the Apostle Paul had, had written these words to, they had been steeped in a life of sin. Let me just give you some examples of some people that I believe came to understand this profound truth. That Christianity is not about what we were in the past, but rather what we are in the present. And because of what we are today, God can use us mightily in his service. I mentioned a moment ago the lesson text tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 10. And here the apostle Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What about his past life? What about the activities of the apostle Paul prior to his conversion to Christianity? We know in reading the scriptures that he had been schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews. The Bible tells us that he was a Pharisee and that he persecuted the church of God. Listen, if you would, to what he says in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then last of all, and he's talking here about Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, he said, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle. Why is that, Paul? Because I persecuted the church of God. But he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I think the Apostle Paul had a deep appreciation for God's grace. Timothy, as you well know, was his son in the faith. When Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who before was a persecutor, a blasphemer. He said, an insolent man, or injurious to the cause of Christ. But he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Think about what God was able to do in and through the life of Paul. When I read the book of Acts and begin looking at his missionary journeys, and all of the people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel, the Bible records the fact that prior to his conversion to the cause of Christ, he made havoc of the church. Saul of Tarsus did everything within his power to destroy or persecute the church of God. And yet following his conversion to the cause of Christ, what did he do? Became a zealous worker for the cause of Christ did everything within his power to lead people to the cause of Christ. When he wrote to the saints of Rome, he talked about how he was a debtor. There was a sense of indebtedness in the mind of Paul because of what God had done for him. And so he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, so Paul is a great example of somebody who did not allow his past to become an obstacle to service in the kingdom. Let me give you a second example. What about the apostle Peter? Peter was quite a man. And you go back and you begin looking at his life as a follower of the Lord. We understand that he was called by the Lord that he was selected by Jesus to be one of his apostles and he along with his brother. The Bible tells us that he forged a great relationship with the Lord. Well, in looking at the life of Peter and I think about the close-knit relationship that he had with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the fact that they were extremely close to the Lord but over and over again, you read about the life of the Apostle Peter as he is sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from the master teacher. How many times did Peter speak before he thought? I think about in John chapter 13. Jesus is talking about the fact that death is imminent. He's going away. And so Simon Peter speaks up and he says, I'm willing to lay down my life for your sake. Jesus told him that he would deny him. That's exactly what Peter did. And so in John chapter 21, we have Jesus appearing to Simon Peter. And he asked Peter, 
a profound question. He said, Peter, do you love, do you love me more than these things or do you love me more than these? Of course, Peter spoke up, acknowledged his love for the Lord. Three times, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Three times, the apostle Peter acknowledged his love for the Lord. The third time, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. So the Lord then said, feed my sheep. On Pentecost Day, we read of the 11 standing up. And we have a record of the Apostle Peter preaching the gospel. For the first time, to multitudes of people. The Bible tells us that that sermon was preached with such conviction that those who were assembled in Jerusalem were cut or pricked in their hearts. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles and asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Luke tells us in verse 40, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this crooked or perverse generation. Verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that occasion. Through the efforts of Peter and the other apostles. And then I think about not just the preaching and teaching of Peter, but the fact that God used him to record two timeless books. We call them First and Second Peter. Peter wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Lord had said to Peter and the other apostles in John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so Peter would say in his second letter that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter had been an eyewitness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with the Lord when he was transfigured on the mountain. He heard that voice that came forth from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so yes, when you look at the, the life of Peter, particularly his past, mistakes, shortcomings, failures, many of us can identify with the life of Peter. And yet God used him in a great and noble way. I think about, collectively speaking, the saints that made up the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote to people that were spiritually speaking rich and yet they were living as if they were in poverty. So he points out to these people in chapter 1 verse 3 that every spiritual blessing is in Christ in the heavenly places. In verse 7 he said, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In chapter 2 verse 1 he said, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. They had obeyed the gospel. Back in verse 13 of chapter 1 Paul said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so to these people, 
that had been knee deep in a life of sin. Paul would say in verse 10 that they were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God before prepared that they might walk in them. And the idea is that they were God's masterpiece. They had been raised up to sit together with Christ in the heavenly places. They had been endowed with all spiritual blessings and God could use them in a mighty way. And I have no doubt that he did. Over in chapter 5, he would say, You were once in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The beauty of the gospel of Christ is it doesn't matter what you were, but rather what you are today. We live in the present. And then there's a second thing I want to call attention to as we think about the fact that God can use us. And that is God can use us despite our place in life. It really doesn't matter what your place or position may be in this life. God can use you. You ever thought about some of the individuals that God called upon to use in a mighty way? I mean, go back and begin looking at the Old Testament and just work your way forward. It's amazing to know, or rather to, to note, the various individuals and their backgrounds and education, their plight in life, and the fact that God could use people out of such diverse circumstances and harness them and use them for his will. I want to just cite a couple of examples. What about Moses? Moses, an interesting character. God called Moses to stand before Pharaoh at the age of 80, according to chapter 7, at verse 7. God had said in Exodus chapter 1, there arose a new king in Egypt that knew not Joseph. In other words, the king in Egypt, the Pharaoh, did not know the God of Joseph. Joseph became a light for God among pagan people. And it was through Joseph that God's people began to grow and to multiply and to flourish. They cried out to God. God said he saw their afflictions. As a result, he brought them out of bondage. And he used a man by the name of Moses to accomplish this will. If you go back and you read, for example, chapter 4. Moses begins offering excuses as to why he's not the person God needs to use in leading the people out of Egypt. And so he asks the question, suppose they, suppose they won't believe me or listen to me. Suppose they say, the Lord's not appeared to you. Down in verse 10, he said, Lord, I'm not an eloquent man. He said, I'm slow of speech and tongue. You begin reading the account and working your way through the first several chapters of Exodus. Going back to the call initially made by God to Moses. And see how he does his best to try and get God 
to find somebody else. So God said, I've got a partner for you, Aaron. But God used Moses. Over in chapter 19, God said, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Who led those people? Moses did. Who received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai? Moses did. Who was the great lawgiver and leader of ancient Israel? Moses was. Moses was used by Almighty God in a great way. Later he was succeeded by Joshua. I can just imagine Joshua when he heard the words spoken by God, Moses, my servant, is dead. Can you imagine having to feel the shoes of Moses? And yet Joshua did. Joshua was used by God in a great way. And then I think about a young shepherd boy, a fellow by the name of David. You remember Saul, the first king, disobeyed Almighty God. And so God removed him or said he would remove him as king. In chapter 16, he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And God said to Samuel that he doesn't look at the outward appearance of man. He doesn't see as man sees. He said, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God, he said, he said, I look at the heart. And so we have the sons of Jesse coming before Samuel. The first two come, the first being Abinadab. Abinadab. God said he's not the one. Shammai, not the one. The sons pass by. And so Samuel asked the question, are these your only sons? There's still one, a fellow by the name of David. And he's keeping the sheep. The Bible tells us that Samuel sent for David. He said, we will not sit down until he comes. And when he came, God said, he's the one, anoint him. David became a great king in the history of Israel. And we talk about sometimes our frailties and faults. David, as you well know, probably the greatest king over the United Kingdom. And yet he had his faults, didn't he? Committed adultery with Bathsheba. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 13 that David was a man after God's own heart. Interestingly, God said that it was David that was a man that would do all of his will. Tells us something about him. God used him in a great way. And then, what about Esther? You remember Esther, the queen, the plot that had been set in place by a man named Haman. Haman intended to destroy the Jewish population. And so Esther is encouraged to intervene on behalf 
of the Jewish people. The statement is made to her. Who knows whether you're come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther had the courage to stand up. She made a difference. As a result of her courage, God's people were spared. One woman at a unique point in time in history. You see how God can use people in various circumstances, in various situations in life. In the New Testament, there are many people that I, that I could cite. Let me just mention a couple. In the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew, we read about the calling. Peter and Andrew, James and John. By trade, they were fishermen, weren't they? Jesus told them to follow him. And the Bible says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. What about Matthew? He was a tax collector. Jesus instructed him in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, to follow him. And so again, here are people from diverse backgrounds, but used in great ways to serve the Lord. Luke, a physician, had the opportunity to write Two books in the New Testament. One, a biography of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second would be the book of Acts that traces the birth, infancy, and growth of the New Testament church. And so here is Luke, a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul, and he is recording the events that transpired in the first century. So God can use you despite your place in life. There's a third thing I want to call attention to. God can use you despite your phobias or fears in life. There are a lot of times that we express our anxieties or fears in becoming servants of God. In other words, in becoming involved in the work of God. And there are a number of there are a number of reasons or excuses that we will sometimes use, like Moses, to say, you know what, I'm not qualified. Somebody better than me. Let me just cite for you some of the things that will obstruct our service in the kingdom. Number one, I think about the fear of rejection. I don't know of anybody, young or old, that likes to be rejected. And yet, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. There were a lot of people that followed the Lord, but there were a lot of people that turned their back on him. In John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, John said, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Can you imagine? Here are all these people that are following the Lord, They've seen the great miracles that he's performed, and now they're not walking with him anymore. The Lord asked the question, will you also go away? Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Peter said, we believe and have come to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Rejection can sting. What we need to understand as servants of God, particularly as we are 
talking to people about Christ. God expects us to sow the seed. We have no control over whether or not that seed will germinate and yield fruit. My job is simply to dispense the seed of the kingdom. When I do that, then I've fulfilled my responsibility. Rejection, yes. There have been a lot of folks that have preached, a lot of people that have taught the gospel in days gone by. And they, like the apostles of old, the Lord himself, understood what it's like to be rejected. What about the fear of the future? When Jesus talked about going away, and of course Peter boldly spoke up and said, Lord, I'm willing to lay down my life for your sake. In chapter 14, it's on, really it's on the basis of the fact that he will go away, that Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Sometimes we are afraid of what the future holds. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. I don't know. But I do know the one that holds the future in his hand. And that's Almighty God. And sometimes people fret and fear and are filled with anxiety and worry about tomorrow. Let me tell you what. We have more than we can say grace over today. Just live one day at a time. If we'll do that, God will be with us. There's a third thing, the fear of failure. Again, failure is not a word that we like to use in our vocabulary, particularly in relationship to ourselves. But sometimes we fail, don't we? When I go back and I read the gospel narratives, or even go back in the Old Testament, were there people that failed in their efforts from time to time? Sure. Why? Human beings. Do we fail? Yes, we do. And yet, just because we fail doesn't mean that we can't get up, dust ourselves off, and go forward and be used in a mighty way by Almighty God. Think for a minute about Moses as he stood before Pharaoh time and again. On the one hand, Pharaoh would say he's going to let the people go and then he'd turn around and do what? Wouldn't let them go. You think Moses ever felt like a failure? After the children of Israel were released from bondage, and as they began traveling around under his leadership, they murmured, they complained. Let me tell you what. We talk about Moses and the fact that on one occasion he struck the rock and was prohibited from entering the promised land. He struck the rock because, in my mind, he had had enough of the murmuring and complaining and bickering. He had had a belly full. He was sick and tired of it. 
was no excuse to disobey God, but it did. So failure. There's another, I think, fear or phobia that sometimes paralyzes us. And that is we fear that we're not going to be able to adequately and concisely communicate to other people. Again, you look at the life of Moses. What did Moses say? I'm not eloquent. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. You don't have to be a great communicator to share the gospel or to be involved in the work of the kingdom. God can use you. Did you know that you can... You can be involved in a mighty way in the kingdom of God without ever having to open your mouth in many, in, well, on many occasions. We talk about evangelism. You can give somebody a CD. You can hand a tract to somebody. You can set up a Bible study with somebody, with another person that's qualified or apt to teach. You can encourage somebody to come to worship services. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker to say, hey, would you come to services with me? Would you come to Bible study with me? Would you study with a friend of mine? Doesn't take much. You don't have to be an effective communicator to prepare a meal for somebody, to send a card. There are so many things that we can do on a daily basis. And then there's the fear of not knowing enough. The only way to know the word of God is to dig in. The Hebrews were chided because when they should have been able to teach others, the writer said, you have need that someone teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. I understand. When we obey the gospel, we are identified as babes in Christ. Our goal is to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's a process. Maybe you don't know enough. But over the course of the next year, you can commit your life to reading, studying, meditating, memorizing Scripture, delving deeper into the Word of God, mining the truths that are contained in this book, becoming more apt to teach and to share the gospel with others. Maybe you don't know enough right now. But you know enough. You know enough to do something for the cause. You know enough to invite somebody to services, to hand them a track, to send a card, etc. Two more things. Sometimes folks say, well, I'm just too old. Too old to serve. Had a friend of mine who's deceased now. I liked what he said on one occasion. When you retire, you can do more for the Lord. Typically, we think about retiring, winding down, wrapping things up, relaxing, resting, going about our own business. Let me tell you what, you're never too old to serve in the kingdom. I don't care if you're flat on your back in a bed and you can't get up on a regular basis. You know what you can do? You can pray to Almighty God for the church and for other people. 
You can lie on your back. It might be the case that you can lie on your back and you can write a card out to somebody. There are things that you can do. There are some people, yes, they're too old to drive, but they can pick up a telephone and they can call somebody and they do that. I mentioned a moment ago that Moses was 80 when God called him to lead the children of Israel. Caleb, 85 years of age. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 14 that Caleb said, give me this mountain. Oh, I like that. Here's somebody at 85 that's got some spunk, ready to go to work, to be busy. And then the flip side of that is I'm just too young. Too young. Let me tell you about Josiah. Josiah was king over the southern kingdom at the tender age of eight. Under his leadership, the book of the law was found by Hilkiah the priest. And as a result of Josiah and his leadership, do you know what happened? Sweeping restoration took place. Josiah was a young fella, but he made a tremendous impact in his lifetime. Doesn't matter if you're young or old, you can be used by the Lord. Here's what it takes, a willing heart and a willing mind. Most of us can do whatever we set out to do. The question is, are we going to allow God to use us in his service? Paul said, with regard to the church, there are many members, yet but one body. There's just one body when it comes to the church. But each and every one of us represent a member in that body. And so, you take the various parts of the human body, every part important and useful. Same with the church, every part important. You are important. I don't care if you're young or old, male or female, God can use you. I want to ask you a question tonight as we close. The Lord willing, in just a few days, we're going to begin a brand new year, 2014. God can use you in 2014 in a great way. But you have to let him use you. You have to decide that you're going to be an instrument of righteousness for his good and to his glory. Could I encourage you, could I challenge you tonight Find your niche in the church right here. Find, find yourself something to do and do it with all your might. If all of us will commit to digging deeper and working harder, no telling what can happen in 2014. So I want to encourage you. Let God use you. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that as a Son of God, you need to follow Him. 
If you believe him to be who he claimed to be, why not repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be baptized into Christ, immersed in a watery grave, so that you might enjoy the forgiveness of every sin, according to Acts 2.38. Let God add you to the church so that you can become a viable instrument for good in his kingdom. Be faithful till death. The promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, would you come home? Would you not come back to a loving God who desires fellowship with you once more? The Bible tells us, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. This morning we had the opportunity to pray for Leslie. And we're grateful for his decision to strive to the best of his ability to live for the Lord. And so, just as Leslie has done, you tonight can do. Why not come as we stand and sing?